You made it. Good morning, everybody. Hey, it's great to be together in the house of the Lord Almighty. Welcome to all of you who are watching online. And a big thank you to everyone for braving Marathon Madness. Congratulations. You did whatever it took to be here. If the cold weather wasn't enough, all the orange cones and the people dragging themselves willingly to the finish line, we actually have half marathoner runners in our midst, meaning they got up this morning at six whatever, maybe earlier, they put on layers of clothing and then willfully went out into the 27 degree temperature and ran. We were out here since like 6.50 in the morning, a bunch of us from Illuminate Church cheering people, and I saw dudes running in shorts and tennis shoes and that's it. Them nuts, right? But then we had these people in our church who ran, we cheered with them, and then they went home, they showered, and they made it here to church. Please stand up. Jeff Kenner right here. Come on. Oh, he's very humble. Yeah. And then Connor and Liz Delaney over here. Come on. They're not standing up either. They're like, I would stand up, but my legs are no longer working today. Yeah, man, praise God. Thank you all for uh, running and inspiring us. The dude who was running the marathon, um, there's a half marathon and a full marathon, right? And the first place guy came for his second lap to the high school, and he looked like he had just started his 100-yard dash. He is hauling legs very fast, right? And uh, then we waited for like seven minutes until second place showed up. That's how special this one dude, and when I say special, you have to be just incredibly athletically gifted to do what he was doing. Incredible. Uh, how's everyone doing with the 21-day fast? Let me hear you about that. <laughs> yep. I am personally not running today because I'm fasting marathons. <laughs> Genius. Anyone else? Yeah, this is a great idea. It's brilliant. I heard from the Lord. Don't <laughs> run, right? So I didn't run. So yeah, uh, I hope that your fast is going well. If you're brand new today or didn't know that we are fasting, if you're watching online, we are in the middle of a 21-day fast called our Renew Fast. And in my D group this past Wednesday, we were talking about what it is that we're fasting, and we're sharing these stories. And uh, Pastor Kim reminded us all what fasting is about. He said, fasting is about starving your flesh to death because your flesh wants to say to you, do this. You want it. You need it. You are hungry. And we, when we fast, get to tell our flesh, you know what? I'm putting you in check. You must heal. You must obey because flesh, you do not rule me. And then on the opposite side of fasting from the flesh, we get to gorge. Another guy in my D group, James Ray, shared this word. Gorge on the spirit of God. Like just going to eat of the spirit. So what's happening is we're starving the flesh and gorging the spirit. And when we engorge the spirit, what we're doing is saying, hey, spirit, I will follow you rule. You rule me. Whatever you say, I will do. Whatever you ask, I will respond. Wherever you lead me, I'm going to go. That's the way that fasting works. And I hope that your fast is going well. Two claps for fasting. Yeah, uh, I want to tell you where this entire series is headed We're in a series called Abandon. If you weren't here last week, you're like, why are we preaching already? Isn't there supposed to be some people out here singing now? Well, what we're doing in this series specifically this week and the next two weeks is we are preaching first, hearing from the Word of God, 
Then we're entering into a time of confession where we speak back to God what it is that has moved our heart from his word. So we respond to God, and then we close the service by praising the Lord as further response to his love and his goodness. Everyone say, that's good. But our series is headed somewhere. It's headed to a specific night right here at the high school, a very special once-a-year occasion that we do here at Illuminate Church. It's called a night of worship, but this particular one on February 20th, February 20th, everyone say February 20th, 6.30 p.m. right here, yes, we're going to have some worship, but also, you guys, if you've been around a while at Illuminate Church, we always end the fast with our, what we call a prophetic presbytery. And if you're brand new to church or you're from a hardline denomination like I was, when you hear the words prophetic presbytery, you sound like, uh, I think I want to leave now because something's about to be weird and, and somebody's going to whip some snakes around and throw them, whatever. <laughs> That's nothing of the sort. All that a prophetic presbytery is this. People full of the Spirit of God, three people in specific, are going to be here that night. Friends of ours, people that we know and love dearly, who are going to come and share what's called words in season. And it just means they're going to look at I remember Sarah Pogge, you were sitting over there one day, and you got a word. And it sounds weird, you're like, got a word. It just means these people pray and listen and write, and pray and listen and write. And when they get here, these words match up with people, and they deliver the word. And it's incredible how specific and precise and powerful these words are. The reason that we are here, Christine and I, sharing as uh, in ministry here at Illuminate Church is because of one of these words that was spoken over us at a church that sent us out here. So on February 20th at 6.30 p.m., we're going to come together and abandon everything and just be present with the Lord Almighty. I hope and pray that you will not neglect that night, that you will show up full-hearted, full-throated, and give your all. Youth group that night, Illuminate Youth, will be here. So Pastor Paul, where are you at, Pastor Paul? I saw you earlier. Hey! Him and his whole crew will be here as well. It's going to be a great night. And uh, there will be some stuff for kids, but kids are also welcome in here. But if they don't want to be in here, there will be something over there that they can do as well. Are we all aligned? February 20th, you're marking it in your calendars. If you don't take out your phone now and put it down, you're going to forget. I'm just saying. February 20th. All right, last week we started the series Abandon. Knowing that the life we dream of, the life that Jesus promised us in John chapter 10, the abundant life, is available to us when we abandon the worldly invitation. It's an invitation from the deceiver himself. We abandon that invitation and instead we walk into this life with Jesus. And when we abandon that life, we walk away from the power and the penalty of sin, specifically the power. The penalty is forgiven the moment you receive Jesus as Lord. It's forgiven through the blood that was shed on the cross for you. It was forgiven because Jesus died and then rose back to life, showing that he had power over sin and death. And so when we abandon that life and forgiveness comes and salvation and we walk towards Jesus, the power of sin, the grip that it has on you, begins to fade and goes away as we abandon it. So... What is abandonment? For us in this series, abandon looks like worship because it actually is worship. And when you think of worship, what happens to us is we actually step off the throne of our lives, we shared this last week, and allow Jesus to take his rightful place seated at the very center of our lives on the throne of our hearts. 
right there. And just for me, maybe you could do this practice for yourself as well, this little experiment, but who would you rather to be sitting on the throne of your life? When I think about it, if it's me, then there's sporadic faithfulness, there is limited knowledge, limited power, limited strength, and when I sit on the throne, some areas of my life are ordered and some are out of order, disheveled, discombobulated. Or you could put Jesus on the throne, and when you put him there, here is one who's been faithful throughout all generations, was faithful even to go into the cross for a sinner like me. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-strength, all-revelation is housed in Jesus, and when he sits on the throne of a life, then everything starts to become ordered around it. We order our lives according to Christ and his goodness. And the way that that happens, according to Psalm 22, 3, is by worship. When we worship, we abandon the old life, we step off the throne, Jesus steps on the throne and has power. I choose Jesus, but I can't just say that. I do that by worshiping. I live it out by worshiping. So what is worship? Is it singing? No. And yes, it's not singing entirely, but it certainly includes singing. Here's the concept of worship in a sentence. We introduced this last week. Let's look at it again. Worship is when God acts and humanity... You responded. Well done. Today's message is the first part of this sentence. God acts. When Christine and I were dating back way when, 1990-something, I organized a ski trip from the University of Florida up to Snowshoe, West Virginia. Anyone ever been to Snowshoe? Yeah, whoop, 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 whoop. Way overcrowded is this place, but it's still a great ski resort. And on the way up there, uh, I had planned that we would stay at this church and then do like a little mission project with the church, and then we would move along to West Virginia. So we get up there. I'm dating this new girl. Um, she's not new. She's probably 17 at the time, so she's 17 years old. No, not 17. What am I talking about? Maybe you were 17. Oh, hey, hey. <laughs> I don't remember. But her name was Christine Bachman. We had just started dating. We go up on this trip, and uh, we're at this church, and part of the project is we're playing with these kids from the city. At, we're playing basketball, hanging out, and I'm just loving on these kids and including them and inviting them in, and we're playing, and we're shooting, we're laughing, we're having a great old time, and we get done, and she's like, hey, um, can we go outside? I'm like, okay. So we go outside, and we're sitting on the porch of this church. I don't even remember the name of the church, and she said, I was just watching you interacting with these kids, and I just got to tell you, I love you. I didn't hear any dude go, aww. <laughs> I feel a little overexposed. I can't imagine how you feel. By the way, do I have permission to tell this story? Quick. She said it first. That was the first time 
either of us had said anything like that. Before that, I was like, hey, I like you. Let's go see a movie. I like you. Let's go have dinner. But there in that moment, she'll always have the credit for this. She said to me, I love you. And she said it first. In your relationship with God, everything that has ever happened between you and the Lord God, personally you, I'm not talking about humanity in general, I'm talking about you as an individual. Everything that has happened is because God has initiated with you. And he said to you, just like I said last week, the very first one to say it was God. Oh, nobody. <laughs> he said it to you first. And he didn't say it to you probably in your shiniest moment where you're helping kids play basketball and you're doing great things. He said it to you in the miry muck down in the depths of Sheol. He said to you, I see you there and nothing will separate you from this love. I love you. I'm mad about you. He proved it through his son's death, burial, and resurrection. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 says this, we love because he first loved us. I hope that you can really take that scripture in, what it means that he loved us while we were sinners, that he loved us when we were not our best, because it's the beginning of knowing how to respond to God's love. Now, I know today is all about God acting first, but I do want to talk about our response for just a moment here in light of God's acting first. I think we actually know already how to respond to God because we do it naturally. It happens naturally. I just want to take you to a scene where you're sitting there and there's a brand new, not brand new, maybe I can't remember how old, 16 months, I don't know, uh, whatever age a baby is when they take their first steps. And you're in the room, it doesn't even have to be your baby, and baby starts those first steps, and this is how you respond. Ready? On the count of three, you respond. One, two, three. <laughs> that's, how, that's more like me, Deanne. I, I would... I'd be like, whoa, yeah, baby, do it again. Uh, come on, right? Now, uh, just a few Tuesdays ago, uh, I was doing a wedding just over there at Paradise Cove or whatever it's called for Chelsea and Coleman Hedden, right? They're part of our church here. Chelsea's over there serving in kids as we speak. Coleman's at work. And my favorite part of the wedding, besides the bride coming down the aisle, which is always my favorite, favorite part, it's just so amazing. I get the best view in the entire place to see this magical moment, father and daughter and tears and the groom like about to pass out. It's awesome. I love it. <laughs> but my second favorite part is when I say, Chelsea, excuse me, Coleman, you may now kiss your bride. And I stand out of the way and the husband, in this case, Coleman, takes her in and gives her a big old smooch. And you know what the crowd does? I bet you do. On the count of three, you're going to do it. One, two, three. Yeah, it's way better than that. They go nuts. They're clapping and cheering and screaming. How would you react if I told you, and I want you to react as soon as I say it, hey, you just won the lottery. Yep. Hey. Hey. You won the lottery. Uh, last Sunday, I took this picture of me and my two sons when um, the Bucks 
came from 27 to 3 down and tied it in the last second. We went nuts like this, right? That's what we were doing. We did it naturally. Of course, five minutes later, we were crying because the kicker that we cut kicked a field goal to beat us in the end, and then basically he made Tom Brady retire. And <laughs> Hush now. <laughs> Some of y'all are haters as was I before he became a buck, so anyway. <laughs> at no point does anyone ever have to say to you at any of these moments, hey, my baby just took first steps. Will you all please cheer? Hey, they just kissed for the first time. I think we should give a round of applause. Hey, you just won the lottery. I think maybe you should do like a screaming fit in your car. N no one tells you to do that. You just naturally respond. When my son Owen turned 18 in 2020, it was May, three months into the quarantine of the world, right? He had already lost his prom. He lost his graduation. His graduation literally was on this stage. It was him and the principal and us right there. And the principal stood over there and he stood here, took a picture and we walked out. It lasted like 20 seconds. That was it. <laughs> And that same month was his birthday. Nothing could happen. No one could get together. There's nowhere anywhere to go at that point. We're all still uncertain of everything. And so I just put out a little, like, hey, we're going to do one of these drive-by things for our son because we don't know what else to do. And maybe it'll cheer him up a little to have the drive-by. And I called a dude named Rob Allen, one of our elders here. Said, hey, can you help out with this? And... Uh, well, here's what happened. We started the drive-by, and I thought it'd be like 10 cars and like two minutes if they drove really slowly. This thing was nearly half an hour long. Of these cars, a bunch of you were there, pulling by, and every single car that came by, I see some of you guilty out here, threw objects at my son. <laughs> Candy, balls, money, Silly string, flower, Jim and Holly Graham, your son, he brought a can of beans this big, <laughs> opened it up, and dumped it on Owen's head. Then he sliced his finger on the can. I remember now. It's a bad story, but it's blood in the beans. Flower. I mean, the road looked like a wreck. And I'm off to the side, and I'm literally laughing and crying, thinking to myself, and these kids and adults all screaming and hollering, music blasting, horns and sirens, they really love Owen. They're responding to the man they know him to be, his character, the way that he makes them feel, his infectious joy and energy, and they're responding to him, and nobody told them how to do it. I didn't say, hey, when you drive by, turn up the music, bring a can of beans, and some silly, whatever you, and no one had to tell anybody how to respond in love. It just happened naturally. I asked a question this week that I hope is personal, yet it's global. Is the church in general less responsive to God these days because we don't know how to respond?
To that I say, no. That's hogwash. We know how to respond. Here's the issue. Responding properly to God is rooted in remembering properly the acts of God. We have not responded well because we have not remembered well the first acts of God. Have we diluted the distinct depth of his love? If we could fathom just for a minute in this room, if we could experience the fullness of God's love and his presence, we would just naturally respond. We do it everywhere else. But sometimes with God, it's like, well, I'm not sure, or I don't want to. I'm, I'm not sure. So what should our response be? That's next week's message. Don't miss it. For this week, what I want to do is simply to remind you how God acts, his acts of love to us. If we can get this into our spirit, then the more we will be able to fully worship, which means we'll be fully able to abandon this life, which means in the end, we will be made well. The places where you are broken are in that process. We abandon because we worship, and we're worship. while we're worshiping, Jesus looks at us like he did last week in the story of the ten lepers and says, because you have worshiped, you have been made well. Not because you're worshiping me and I, I needed to worship, but because you've ordered your life so that I am on the throne. And when I am on the throne, all the brokenness is made well. Everything. To show you how God acts, we're going to do something today, which... We rarely, if ever, do here at Illuminate Church. I'm going to show you a video, a teaching video. It's about 15 minutes long, even. And the reason I'm showing you this video is because I've never heard anybody say it better than what you're about to see. Maybe you have, but I have not personally heard anybody express to me the unfathomable love of God for us, just how much he loves you. I even thought about stealing this message. I know this guy. I could email him and be like, hey, can I just preach your stuff? And the Lord said to me, Tim, it's not about you. Get out of the way. Let what's been spoken speak. I want to introduce you to a, a man named Pastor Preston Morrison. He leads a church in Scottsdale, Arizona. He spoke two years ago at Gateway Conference, which... Me and a few others from church usually attend, but in 2020, something was going on on the earth that allowed the conference to be attended by no one. So literally, they did the conference from their stage, and there's no one but a few staff in the audience, and then they broadcast it. And we watched this as part of their broadcast. Now, as you watch this, I want you to know that this message is to people who are typically in ministry. So he may say stuff, you may see stuff that says like for pastors or this or that or whatever, but I'm telling you, 99%, if not 100% of what you're about to see is for every person in this room, everyone. So again, real quick, the purpose of what Pastor Preston is about to share is to remind you of this. This is how God acts. When I first saw this message, I was marvelously wrecked before the Lord. I was undone thinking about the unwavering, personal, intimate love of God. I hope that you are too today, so let's experience this together. Let's uh, please welcome, as if he were here, Pastor Preston Morrison. 
Here's point number one as we here's talk point number one as we talk about God's presence. God's favorite place to be is wherever you are. God's favorite place to be is wherever you are. Now, there are several ways that we can know this in Scripture. So there are four subpoints to point number one. Make sure you write these down. Here's the first. God made it abundantly clear in the garden. God made it clear that his favorite place to be, think about this. The God of the universe has a favorite place to be. That favorite place to be is wherever you are. He proved that in the garden. I'm not going to read you Genesis chapter 3, but think about this. What was the first question God asks man? We act as though the first question God asks man is, what did you do? That's actually question number four. The first question God asks man after the fall, after sin, God says, where are you? Think about this for a minute. The God who is everywhere and knows everything asks a locational question. There's no way. Think about it. God knew where they were because he knows everything. And he was where they were because he's everywhere. This wasn't a locational question. It was a relational question. Think about the implication here. God's saying, where are you? I just want to be with you right now. We live our lives as though the question God always asks us is, what have you done, Preston? That was question four. Question one was, where are you? And think about this. Think about how important God's presence and your presence to him is. He says, hey, if they eat from the other tree in this garden, they'll be separated from me forever. I cannot have that. I cannot stand for that. God banished them from the garden simply so he could bring them back in the grand scheme of things. One of the things we talk about when we talk about leading people to Christ Sometimes, if we're not careful, it's salvation is all about, hey, we don't want you to go to hell. Salvation becomes a get out of hell, not free card, but nearly. I want you to remember this. Jesus didn't die to get you out of hell. Jesus died so you could hold his father's hand for eternity. This was the why. Listen, what scares me about hell is not the heat of hell. It's the ice-cold absence of God's presence forever. Here's the second thing that, that really helps us understand how serious God is about being in our presence. Subpoint number two, he obsessively chases you everywhere you go. This is really good news. The God of the universe chases you wherever you go. Let me say it another way. There's never been a room that you've walked into where God wasn't already waiting for your arrival. I want to show it to you in Scripture. Psalm 139, you can turn there, but what I'd really like, I'm going to read you 12 verses of Psalm 139. And I'd actually prefer that as I read these verses, you close your eyes. And you just let the Word of God wash over you. And I want you to hear how your God feels about being in your presence. Psalm 139, 
starting in verse one. And if you want to, just close your eyes and just let scripture wash over you. David says, oh Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down. You know when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel. You see me when I rest at home. God, you know everything I do. Question, does God know everything you do because he knows everything about everything? I don't think that's his why. God knows everything you do because he never stops watching you no matter what you're doing. Verse four, God, you know what I'm gonna say even before I say it. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing upon my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to even try and comprehend. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Watch this next part, it's so romantic. I could even ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night. But God, even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. Okay, I want you to open your eyes. And I want you to hear this. Months ago, I was sitting in a, a meeting here in Dallas. I live in Scottsdale, but I was in an important meeting here in Dallas. And while I was sitting in the meeting, my son was playing in a baseball game, one of his favorite things to do. And I have this app that lets me follow the game pitch by pitch. And so here I am sitting in this important meeting, trying to act like I'm paying attention, but the whole time I'm watching pitch by pitch of my son's game. And everyone else is talking and I'm not really talking and, and I just felt the Lord say something really sweet. I felt him say, Preston, you've never asked me a question about my omnipresence. I said, well, what, what question do you want me to ask you? He said, you've never asked me my why. Why I'm omnipresent. I said, okay. Why are you everywhere? He said, what's that feeling in the bottom of your chest as you sit in this room, in this meeting, absent from your son's game? And I said, I'm bummed and disappointed. Not miserable, but it, it's a miserable feeling. He said, Preston, let me explain my why. Here's why I'm everywhere. Because I'm a daddy. And I'm not going to miss one pitch of any of my children's games. I am everywhere because I refuse to miss your warm-ups. I get to the gym before anybody else comes to watch the game because I just want to see how you walk into the room. 
and I was trying not to lose it in the middle of the meeting. But it was so sweet. Did you know? God isn't just everywhere because he's everywhere. He's everywhere because of you. He obsessively chases you everywhere you go. Here's the third thing that we see in Scripture that helps us to know. God is serious about being in our presence. Number three, God takes the graveyard shift while you sleep. God takes the graveyard shift while you sleep. Years ago, we have three children. Our oldest is our only daughter, Riley, and she's 17. And probably sometime when she was around three, uh, I used to go into her room in the mornings before I went to the office, and I would just stare at her. I know it sounds a little bit weird, but this is what I would do. And one morning, I remember going into her room before I was going to work, and I was just undone. And I remember saying to the Lord, God, out of all the daddies in the history of the world, I can't believe that you let me be hers. And I just started going on and on to the Lord about everything I love about my daughter. I'll never forget that morning I felt the Lord say, son, do you know this is what I do over your bed every single morning of your life? And I lost it. And he sends me to Psalm 139. And he backs it up with his word like only he can do. Psalm 139, verse 17, David says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They can't even be numbered. I can't even count all the thoughts you have about me. They outnumber the grains of sand. Watch this next part. David says, And when I wake up, There you are, still with me, standing over me. This is one of my favorite one-liners of our time together. Man gazes at God's sunsets. Have you ever wondered what God gazes at? God gazes at man's face. Can you even wrap your mind around The fact that your God sits next to your bed every night and just looks at you like this. Look at her. She looks just like me. Look at him. All night long, the God of the universe stares at you while you peacefully sleep. Here's The fourth thing that we see in Scripture that really lets us know God is serious about being in our presence. He takes his alone time with you very seriously. God takes his alone time with you seriously. Now, I know that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are supposed to be very serious about our alone time with God. But I don't think we understand just how serious he is about being alone with us. Years ago, I was going into my office one morning at the house. That's where I have my alone time with the Lord. And I went to sit in my chair 
where I always pray and I want to turn on my worship music the way I typically do. And as I'm starting to have my time with the Lord, I, I just felt the Lord say, Preston, what is the last thing you hear your wife say before the two of you go in to experience the most intimate physical act I've given the two of you to experience on the earth? Now, I'm going to test some of your maturity with this illustration. I get it, but hang with me. Because what I'm talking about and what we're talking about is not a physical thing. It's an intimate thing. I just felt the Lord say, what's the last thing you hear Holly say before the two of you go to experience the most intimate physical act I've given you to experience? And I was kind of being honorary. Sometimes I'm like that in my time with the Lord. And I said, well, if you're being literal, typically the last thing she says is, hey, babe, can you shut the door? And lock it? Because back then, I mean, we had young kids, and those of you who are parents, you know that when you have kids, especially when they're young, they think every square inch of your house is theirs, including your bedroom. So we were, uh, you know, accustomed to shutting the door and locking it. And while I was sitting there in my office in my chair, starting my quiet time with the Lord, I felt like he said, Grab your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 6. I want to show you something. So go to Matthew 6. I want to read to you what Jesus says as he's teaching us on prayer. Jesus says, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you've shut the door. Some translations say, and shut the door. And pray to your father who is in the secret place. As I was sitting there in the chair, I felt the Lord say, Preston, I want you to know something I've never told you before. The last thing you will hear me say every time you come into this room to be alone with me is, hey, can you shut the door real quick? He said, why does Holly ask you to shut the door? Before I could answer, he kind of romantically answered the question. He said, Preston, what she's communicating to you is what's about to happen on that side of the door is so special and so intimate and so raw that not even your own flesh and blood can get in on this. I want you to know how seriously I take our time together. I ask you to shut the door. Because what's about to happen on this side of the door is so special and so intimate and so vulnerable and so raw that I don't even want your flesh and blood getting in on this moment that I have with you. You could boil this entire message down to this one line. We need to be as serious about being in God's presence as he is about being in our presence. But I think one of the reasons we're not as serious about being in his presence is we just don't understand how serious he is about being in our presence. Today I thought that the perfect way for us to end this message is to do what Jesus invited us to do in Matthew chapter 6, which is to shut the door.
and just have a moment between you and him where you, you would say to the Lord as we move into a time of confession, Lord, I had no idea how special I was to you, how special I am to you. In my life, there are so many things and people that happen that make me feel anything other than special. But God, sitting here today, I realize that the only one that it really matters to has declared my favorite place to be is wherever you are. My favorite thing to do is to shut the door and lock the door and have personal alone time with you. My favorite thing to do is to gaze at you while you sleep and to show you my love, to experience his faithfulness. And so just as we're here, you might have stuff on your lap. If there's a way for you just to clear out and to be just in front of the Lord and ponder this great truth, any response that we have, any love in our heart, any movement of our body, any words that come from our mouths, it all happens because the God of the ages said unto you, my child, I am so in love with you. Just shut the doors here. Just have some time with God. We can rush back out and get back busy another time. But why not linger in his presence? He's lingering in yours. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your nearness and goodness. We thank you for the love that is never-ending, unfaltering, has no expectations, no requirements. Thank you, God, that while we are in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our blood, in the midst of the mud, the shame, it's not like you showed up to tell us in that moment you love us. You were right there the whole time. I'm here, my child. There's no place you can go where I cannot find you. There's no depths, no heights, nothing that can separate my love from you. Wherever you are, there I am, and my love for you is with me. God, we just want to rest here in your presence, to be near you, to walk with you.